Stay tuned now for Point and Click. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer news. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina with the Point and Click Research Desk. Bob Lawton has the night off, and support for KZYX comes from our members and CAL FIRE, informing listeners that smoke near wildlands need be due to planned prescribed fires. These controlled fires can help improve forest health and reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfires. More at readyforwildfire.org. And we are, as we do these days, um, broadcasting via live, uh, via live, via Zoom, tapped into the Ukaya studio. And the room from which we are broadcasting has a flat roof and it's raining. So if you hear the pitter-patter of raindrops on the roof, it's, it's not you. Well, it might be you, but it's, it's also me. And... We're going to talk tonight about, um, well, we have a usual grab bag of, uh, of news items, and we want to spend some time talking about passwords, password management, coming up with good passwords, some examples of some truly lame passwords that have been, people have been using, and, um, and how to create stronger passwords. But before that, we want to do our week tip of the week segment, and this week, We've got a tip that deals with a common task for, for people who work with digital images, and that is removing the background of a photo. It is a process that can be exhaustingly tendon-taxingly difficult in programs like Photoshop. And we've come across a website that makes it a matter of a couple of mouse clicks. Um, and Toby at the point and click research desk has that for us. What do you got there, Toby? This is a tool, actually a website called remove BG as in remove background, www.remove.bg. And it's as simple as uploading an image and it takes a few seconds and you'll have the image returned to you sans background. So now in, in Photoshop, that would be a process of creating something called as a mask. And it's gotten easier as Photoshop has evolved over the many, many years. But it's still a complex process, especially if you have an image that has fine, fine details, details like wispy hair, mm -hmm. cat's whiskers and things like that. Um, and of course, removing a background of a photo is something that designers do, web people do in order to put a subject of a photo, a person, your cat, whatever, whatever, in front of a different background. And so this site, removebg.com. No, you, it's remove.bg. Remove.bg. Okay. Remove.bg basically make, does the process for you. You upload an image. And they use AI technology to detect the foreground layers and separate them from the background. And they have additional algorithms that detect fine detail like hair and whiskers, etc. 
and you will receive back. And we've tried it. A remarkably well-separated image without the background. It really does work incredibly well. And so I think there's a, as with so many things on the web, there are free ways to try it out. And then there are fee-based ways to use it. it if you're going to be a designer and you're going to be using it all the time. It's free for low-resolution uh, images, like a quarter of a megabyte ah, uh, ah. images uh, for personal use only. Mm -hmm. If you want to have uh, higher-resolution images processed, processed or uh, use the service for commercial use, there are subscription models that run 20 cents to 90 cents per image. Pretty reasonable. You can buy packages of credits. But uh, if you're just messing around and you have some photos, you want to put your parents in front of a background in Hawaii, even though they've been in their house for the last year, <laughs> <laughs> this is a great, uh, it's, it's remarkably easy. And also, they don't hang on to your photo. They keep your photo ah, ah, for, um, I think, about 30 to 60 minutes after you have uploaded it, and then it is gone. Wow. You can choose to offer your images up to improve their AI, but that's entirely opt-in. It's not required, and under, in the normal course, your uh, image will be deleted. Right. Very cool. And, and this, and of course, I thought about this example as you were describing it, one of the most common examples of background removal that the planet has seen these last couple of months have been the Bernie Sanders memes. <laughs> Bernie Sanders on Mars. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie Sanders on a subway. Um, that is a perfect example of removing a background and putting the subject someplace else. Um, so if you want to try your own, if you want to put your cat on Mars, go to remove.bg. That's not dot, there's no dot com in there. It's remove.bg. And, uh, and, and and check it out. They also cool. have a, a service for doing the same thing for video. Oh, yeah. Same pricing model, same freebie for low resolution. It's worth just going and trying it. So you it's can put cool. Bernie Sanders moving around on Mars. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> now that's progress. And it's all done through magic of AI, artificial intelligence, and all that cool stuff. Remove.bg. Very cool. So... Let's move from the sublime to the potentially evil, and that is password theft and the security related therein. Um, you know, these days, more and more, we have the ability to unlock our computers or get into our online banking or sign into various websites using biometrics, that is, by your fingerprint or by staring at your phone, face recognition and things like that. And maybe someday that kind of functionality will be universal and we won't have to bother with passwords that get us into some of the secure places that we go to on the internet. That day has not arrived and we still have to deal with passwords. And as a result, there is a legion of hackers and evildoers out there who buy and sell passwords by the millions and use them for identity theft and for buying things under your name, for getting into your bank account and all manner of other nefarious tasks. And we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about password security, password management, um, it's, and ways to um, find out if your password is out there in the wild. And maybe let's start with that first. Um, 
There are a growing number of tools and websites out there, aren't there, that allow you to kind of figure out whether or not your password has been pilfered. The two reliable services that can tell you if your information has been compromised are uh, a website uh, called I ha Have I Been Pwned? Have I, have I Been Pwned? How have do you spell pwned? Have I Been P W N E D? P W, so there's no N in there. P W N E D. N E D, correct. Uh, and they list the breaches that uh, email addresses if you, you plug in your email address and then they will the site will tell you whether that email address has been caught up in any sort of breach and what other um, corollary information might also have been exposed gender phone number etc mm -hmm. and also the uh, Haas Plotner Institute in Potsdam uh, mm -hmm. has a site that will do the same thing they uh, very usefully will list it by year they'll tell you when the breach was which is very useful because if there was a breach in 2012 the likelihood is you've changed your password since then right. uh, so you can prioritize by the most recent breaches and go in and the first thing you want to do is go in and change your password if you find that it's, mm -hmm. it's showing up there so how how do you get to Hoff's schnitzel Potsdam or, what, or whatever it was you I just said just looking up the Haas Plotner Institute how do you spell? <laughs> <laughs> I, know how to, I know how to spell institute. <laughs> the website is not. Uh, it's it's sec.hpi.de slash llc slash search. So that's why I suggest you look up Haas Hasso Plotner Institute. Wait, I've got another one. If you if you search for HPI, the letters HPI identity leak, if you go to the search engine of your choice and search for HPL identity, HPI, HPI, I'm sorry, HPI as an institute, that one word I know how to spell, HPI identity, that'll be the top um, hit in your search engine. Either of these sites, super useful. I plugged in my personal email address today and found. Uh, it had been part of 30 compromises, <laughs> many of them from many years ago, but ah. it was helpful. I started at the top and worked my way down and changed my, e my email address. So that's, that's one of the union passwords. Changed my password. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. So that's, uh, that's lesson number one. If you find, if you go to, have I been pwned? All these websites are so hard to, that's with an out and O, have I be pwned.com. Or the HPI identity leak checker. If you go to those, plug in your email address and find that, bing, 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 you lose some of your passwords are listed there. Um, the first job one is to go to those websites and change those passwords. Don't all change them to the same thing. <laughs> because that's a common mistake that a lot of people use. They have one password and they use it for all of their websites. Or maybe someone has kind of a throwaway password for websites that they don't really care about. They're not, it doesn't relate to your online banking or anything particularly secure. And then they have a super secret password that they use for everything. The prayer all of that, of course, is that if that password is stolen, then they've got the keys to the kingdom. So um, one big lesson is using different passwords for 
the websites that you visit. And we'll have some advice on, on choosing and creating good passwords in a couple of minutes. Um, but first, browsers also offer password monitoring. Almost oh, yeah. all of them now. Yeah, right. Um, Google has Google Password uh, Checkup. Uh, if you go to passwords.google.com and authenticate yourself, you log in, um, Google's online password checkup will give you a quick dashboard of which passwords have been exposed in security breaches, which have been duplicated across various sites. In other words, they're saying to you, hey, you appear to be using the same password 47 different websites. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and... Um, and which of your passwords could be improved with more complex passwords to avoid being, being easily cracked. Um, and they also provide links to the sites so that you can go log in and make those changes. It's very comprehensive. It's a great service. Firefox has something similar called Firefox Lockwise. Mm. And um, Microsoft Edge um, doesn't yet have the functionality, but they say it's coming. Ah. that they will have a strong password generator and a password monitor. So the password monitoring, does that require that you've already been storing your passwords in that browser, or is it just kind of does it on its own? It might, yeah. Okay, so... I believe you have to have been using it to store passwords to some degree or yeah. another. But I, I think that it also uses your email address to get oh, that, that information. Sense. That makes doesn't, sense. You don't need to be storing your passwords. It's using the email address just as you are with Have I Been Pwned and the other site, you are inputting your email address. Right, 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 right. And that's what it's using to gather information. That makes sense. It doesn't have to have your passwords. It just needs to know whether your identity via your email address right. has been part of a breach. Yeah, yeah, cool. So... So you've got a couple of options. You can use the the filter the features that are built into web browsers, or you can use the websites that, that we talked about a couple of minutes ago, uh, the HP uh, HPI Identity Leak Checker, um, and uh, HaveIPinponed.com. Is there any one, should I start with any one in particular or just hit one of those websites first and just kind of That's start? what I would do first. I yeah. would either go to, um, if you, if you uh, have a Google account, uh, I would go to passwords.google.com. I found that to be very comprehensive. Or go to either of the other sites that we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. and just plug in your email address or email addresses that you use, and you will get... Um, uh, have I Been Pwned will give you the results in the browser, and the Institute will send you an email. Oh, nice. Uh, with the information. Uh, I think they also will show you some results in the browser as well. Really helpful and really easy to do. Yeah, good stuff. So those, so those are some techniques for figuring out if existing passwords that you've been using are out there in the wild. Um, you have some advice for us as well on storing passwords and managing the passwords, all those different, strong, smart, unique passwords that you're supposed to be creating. Well, all of these browsers also now have, it, it was common wisdom uh, back in the day um, not to store your 
passwords in your browser. So this is that feature when you when you sign on to your online bank for the first time, Google Chrome, for example, will say, do you want to save this password for Bank of America or whatever? That's that's the feature we're talking about here. Correct. Back in the day, we shouldn't have been using that. Right. Conventional wisdom was don't do that. Okay. It's not secure enough. But that's not true anymore. Uh, modern browsers are much more secure, potentially tied to, count, to accounts that have two-factor authentication. In other words, we'll send you something to your phone and you have to plug in the number you received mm. via text to confirm that you are who you are. Um, so most browsers can now double as a basic password manager. Mm -hmm. um, there are reasons to use third-party uh, applications instead, but certainly at, it's, at minimum, you can store them now safely in your browsers. And the convenience of storing your password with your browser or storing your passwords either with your browser or with a third-party pro program of some kind is that you don't have to, you can use good, strong passwords, unique passwords, different ones for all the important websites you go to without having to also write those passwords on a post-it that you attach to your mind, put in your wallet because the browser stores them for you so that when you go to sign on to your online banking, the browser just automatically s plugs that password in. Um, that's the advantage of storing, of storing passwords. It gives you that convenience of having to type it every time, of having to keep track of all of them. It could definitely save you a lot of headaches. Yeah, for sure. Plus it will give you the confidence to use strong, long right. passwords that you can't possibly remember. Right, right, right. Um, without you, know, you shouldn't be writing them down you should not <laughs> you write them keep, down you shouldn't keep a notebook with your passwords in it if you can keep them in your browser that's secure that will give you the confidence to do so yeah. and ev that's what everybody should be doing um it, if nothing else it makes it easy to use strong unique passwords for every site and service you use eliminating the potential risk from reusing passwords right right um some will even tell you um you know when you're logging in if you've been compromised mm -hmm. so you'll know in that moment so your browser is working in conjunction uh with you know your current password uh strategy uh -huh. um but browser-based password managers lock you into using that browser so that's really an argument right. for possibly using a third-party tool if if you do a lot of um if you do a lot of browsing um, if you're using multiple devices, uh, if you're working across browsers, that's when you start, start start thinking about possibly using a third-party tool. There are several of them that are good: LastPass, Dashlane, One Password. They all are, you know, they're all excellent. Mm. Um, yeah, if you because I mean, if you're like if you're like a lot of people. You might one day sign on to your online banking using your laptop or your iPad or something like that or a desktop machine and then on a different day sign in using your Android phone or your iPhone. And the problem with storing them in a browser um, unless you're synchronized across platforms because you're using the same browser on all the different platforms, um, you're putting, that, you're putting all those passwords on one keychain that isn't necessarily compatible with the uh, or does not necessarily translate over to the other device devices that you might use so using something that stores them in some do they stay these the last passes of all the work of, of the world 
they store them somewhere up in the cloud somewhere so that right. all of your devices have access to um right websites mobile apps yeah desktop software all are synced you can get the information anytime i can get it on my laptop i can get it on my phone you know whenever i need the information it's available to me and they have apps as well that i can access that's pretty cool yeah and they also have features for creating strong hacker proof or almost hacker proof uh, passwords too, right? Hacker resistant. Resistant. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's, and that probably brings us to, is there anything else to talk about with the password storage? Well, they have lots of other features such as, Hey, this password, you've been using this password for a long time. Now would be Ooh. a good time to log in and update. That's that's cool. It, it's good to prompt you because it's not something you necessarily think about all the time. And you you forget just how many sites you've actually created accounts for. Yeah. And so it's nice to have that prompt. Um, uh, but also, they will allow you to share passwords. That's something that you can't do necessarily in the browser. You can't do it in the browser. Right. But if I want to share my Netflix password with a family member, I can designate that particular password to be shared with that particular person ah. and some of these uh, applications will also give it a time limit that yeah. will time out so that that's I find cool. super helpful I mean you and I share passwords right um, on, on a you know quote-unquote family account that way we've bundled certain passwords together that we both have access to it's very very helpful that's really cool particularly in an emergency situation yeah, we, we use LastPass. Or <laughs> I confess, I confess, listeners, largely Toby uses LastPass, and she has been trying to drag me into the LastPass ecosystem, as the tech people would say. Um, and I confess, and I, I'm probably describing a lot of people out there, when you get into a certain rhythm with passwords, and I use good, strong passwords uh, that I have a kind of a little scheme for coming up with. Um, when you have that comfortable pair of password shoes, it's hard to break that habit and kind of surrender to a tool like LastPass. And so I would advise, and I'm talking to myself here as much as I am everybody else, uh, that I would advise to kind of build some time into the, the okay, make the commitment. I'm going to do it, by golly. It's close enough to a new year that I'm going to make the resolution to switch my password schema over to whatever I've been doing to some kind of a password management tool like LastPass. And give yourself a little time and a little bit of commitment to actually make that happen. Because then once you do, it's a lot easier and you have those advantages of being able to share certain passwords that you need to share with family members or colleagues or whatever. Your password health isn't what it should be. <laughs> well, my health isn't what I should be either, but that's, that's a separate matter. But yeah, you're right. I you could, have some strong passwords that you use a lot. I could do better. <laughs> But as far as password managers, you know, third-party password managers are concerned as, as opposed to um, in browser, you think of it this way. Password managers exist to keep your account secure. Their developers are wholly focused on your protection. With browsers, password management is just another supported feature. Yeah, It sure. isn't a focus. Right. And this is something that's so important if, if you ever had your identity breached. It's no joke. 
Yeah, I know. It's, easily yeah. To, it's easy to kind of blow this off, but once once you're compromised, there's it's hard to it's hard to find your way back out of that hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, all of most of these products, um, I don't know. I don't think One Password has a free option, but uh, I think both LastPass and Dashlane have a free version. Um, and the more pro version is not super expensive. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll give you more functionality, more protection, uh, ability to share, ability to do family kind of things, and that that sort of thing. And, and again, in emergen in an emergency, having access to family member passwords is important yeah um so um my yeah. favorite is LastPass, but both but there, there are lots of good tools out there um but at the very least uh use your browser right right and and use good unique if you're not going to use one of these tools which automatically generates these crazy incomprehensible unrememberable uh, passwords at least use good strong passwords that are unique across the websites that you use don't use the very same one um uh that uh you know on, on on all of your websites it's kind of staggering how by the way this is point and click radio with uh jim hyde and toby molina at the point and click research desk bob lawton has the night off and we are coming to you live on kzyx mendocino county public broadcasting in philo um in the course of doing some research on, on tonight's show, we've, we found a list of the top 20 most common passwords for 2020 um, created by this, uh, generated by a research organization that, uh, that, that for some reason studies these things. The very most common password is one, two, three, four, five, six. Number two is, well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Number three is picture with the numeral one. Number four, and I kind of thought this one would rate a little higher, is password. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight is number five. Uh, number six is uh, six ones. Number seven is one, two, three, one, two, three. They're those crazy, lame, unbelievably guessing, guessable things. Number 10 was kind of interesting, which at first I, 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 I was confused about it, and then I did a web search for it. Senha, S-E-N-H-A. And it turns out that that is a... British term for, well, password. password. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've got your boots and your lorry and your pram, and you've, all, you've, got, you've, got, you've also got your senha, apparently. I did not know that. Um, so, yeah, don't use passwords like QWERTY, you know, the top of the letters on the keyboard, Q-W-E-R-T-Y, QWERTY123. I mean, anyone who uses passwords like that deserve to have their identity stolen there. I said it. So if you're going to, um, if you don't want to, you're not quite ready to take the step of using a password uh, third-party tool like LastPass or the password generating features that a lot of the operating systems like Apple Mac OS and the Apple, uh, uh, the iPhone, the iOS have, then at least come up with a way of using good, distinct, unique, difficult passwords and one thing that you uncovered um was how much the length of the password matters so uh refer to cracking passwords as brute force attacks okay that's when a hacker is trying to bully their way into your password and figure it out 
So if you have an extremely simple and common password that's seven characters long, a pro could crack into it in a fraction of a millisecond. Yeah. Add just one more character, and that time increases to five hours. Nine character passwords take five days to break. Ten character words passwords take four months. <laughs> and eleven character passwords take ten years. Wow. Make it up to twelve characters and you're looking at two hundred years worth of trying to crack your password. That's amazing. So if you think of it in those terms, if you use a strong password generator, you are really putting the kibosh on brute brute force attacks on your information. Yeah. And the reason is because of all the different comments. Like a one, I read a one character password has 52 combinations because of upper and lowercase. If you add two, then it exponentially increases up till you're looking at 200 there's years. There's, there's math, math involved. There's more math than I can handle. So, yeah, so, so the length of a password matters. Um, it's not just a matter of what websites often make you do. If you know, use a mix of upper and lowercase and use one special character. And that increases it even more exponentially. Because by using special characters by using upper and lowercase, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And we got a great tip. We talked about passwords in a show, boy, it's been years ago at this point, um, when our good friend Rennie joined us in Philo to talk about it. And he had uh, an interesting... A piece of advice for coming up with a strong password. You know, I think one thing that people often will do is try to use things that are memorable to them. You know, your 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 childhood friend's best friend, or your childhood best friend's name, um, or your dog's name, or you know, just if you have a lot of dogs, a password that involves dogs in some way. Um, but um, a piece of advice that Rennie shared with us is to string together three or four completely, utterly unrelated words. Like an animal, an object, and a fruit. An object, an animal. <laughs> an animal, an, animal? an object, and a fruit was and what he recommended. And I, have t I took that advice to heart. Yeah. And uh, my passwords look rather jolly. <laughs> They make you hungry. <laughs> uh, but they would be very, very difficult for anybody to string together. They make no sense. Right. Um, right. But they're words. And, there were, and that's the beauty of it. They're, they're, they're things that you can remember as opposed to just crazy strings of random characters. And I imagine when you do that, you might do the occasional, you know, use uppercase. a zero yeah. instead of an O mm -hmm. or an uppercase letter here and there. And then I always so. add some characters, some weird characters at the end. Yeah, right. But right. by and large, what I do is I use a random password generator. I could not tell you what any of my passwords are for the majority of the things that I uh, use. Yeah. Certain things that I have to log into manually on a day-to-day -day basis, I use that animal, object, fruit uh, schema. Right. Because I have to actually type them in. So, right. so I don't want to have to be trying to remember crazy passwords. Sure. However, when it comes to my PayPal account, my bank account, my, you know, very, very serious stuff, I have 16 character passwords that are randomly generated, and I couldn't tell you on pain of death what they are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, good stuff. And, and then, you know, the, there's always the wisdom, too, of, of, of 
changing your passwords at regular intervals, at least for those most important sites, the, the, the sites that involve money or social security numbers or identity, because the vast majority of password thefts happen because of big data breaches when a hacker gets into a server at a company like or a, an organization like Equifax and all of a sudden has half a billion email addresses mm -hmm. and passwords. You also shouldn't underestimate, you know, you think of certain things that you sign up for or newsletters that you get or the sourdough bread site that I like to go to and <laughs> have signed up for their newsletter. You shouldn't underestimate the capacity for a hacker to use that information to get into something more important. In other words, don't mm. think of certain sites as, eh, I could just use the same password for these things that are, you know, uh, less serious, not money related, not shopping related. Okay. Um, because that information can be used to get into something more serious. So treat every, um, every login is important to protect. Right, right. I guess that's, I guess that makes sense. If you have a lock on your house, there wouldn't be certain doors that you wouldn't care about. <laughs> yeah. You just forget how easy it is. Also, these, uh, these sites scrape. They get information yeah, about you that sure. don't necessarily haven't volunteered. Sure. Um, your surfing habits, your viewing habits, you know, it's just, there's, there's no, in, there's no need to invite anybody else to have more information about you than you're already volunteering. Very good point. That's excellent advice. Yeah, there are a few things you can do to minimize your risk. Uh, use a password manager, use long, complex passwords. And, and I get it. It's a pain <laughs> to yeah. understand that. Yeah. Um, don't share your username or passwords across multiple sites. Right. Um, and that's why something like Have I Been Pwned is uh, so helpful because who remembers what you've signed up for over the last decade? Totally. Probably dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of sites. So this will help yeah. you remember. Oh, I don't even remember I had an account there. Right. You can close it and do away with it or change the password or at least it will sort of remind you of, of, of the trail of breadcrumbs that you've left. Right. And to, um, to manage it, get your arms around all of that information. Um, and also, you, when you have the opportunity, use biometric or two-factor authentication whenever possible. Right, right. The biometric stuff is, of course, the fingerprint stuff or the... Which is not really looking common. No, it's not. Some of the, you know, more, more and more of the laptops, I guess, have it. Um, and the, and the, the, the mobile devices, um, iPads, Android phones, um, iPhones have either fingerprint or facial recognition. That stuff is great. Um, but it is, it, is the, it is in the minority mm -hmm. of... Uh, Two-factor authentication is more and more uh, prevalent. Yeah. Um, I'm sure yeah, at some point we've all gotten the notification that something that we're doing, Google, whatever, um, we're going to be required to use two-factor authentication. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's a pain. But again, worth it. Yeah. Compared to the alternative of trying to undo identity theft, it's peanuts. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Excellent advice for passwords and security and password management on tonight's edition of Point and Click Radio. It's uh, 36 minutes after the hour, and we are a call-in show. Uh, if you've got a comment or question, how do you manage your passwords? What are your passwords? Share them with all of us. <laughs> give, us a call, give us a call at 895-2448, 895-2448, to reach us here in the studio, and we'll take your call on the air. And uh, 
You know, speaking of um, of privacy, um, there's an interesting uh, piece of news um, about the Brave web browser, which is one that we talk about and recommend as a very privacy-minded. It blocks ads, it blocks trackers and things like that. Um, the folks at Brave just last week bought a open source open source search engine. And they are rolling it into the Brave browser into a new privacy-minded search engine called Brave Search. And there are a couple of great privacy-oriented uh, search engines out there that we know a lot of our listeners are fans of. We talk about them on the show fairly often. DuckDuckGo is one. Start page is another. Um, and now there's going to be another called Brave Search. And just like the more um, privacy-minded other search engines that are out there, um, Brave won't collect your internet address. It won't use personally identifiable information to improve search results the way Google and, and Bing do. And, um, and it's actually creating its own independent search en engine, unlike, the, uh, unlike using the vast, gigantic um, uh, um, engines that, uh, that Google and Microsoft have created. So that's one to watch. Um, it's not out yet. It's going to be built into, uh, into Brave. And uh, this article that I've found talks about the Brave browser as being still kind of a niche browser. It has only 25 million users, which, um, boy, in my opinion, that deserves more. Um, I like it a lot. I use, it's, it's built on the Chromium engine, which means that any website that works and is designed for um, Chrome, Google Chrome, also works perfectly in Brave. And um, it's worth checking out. And also worth checking out is another browser that I, that I dip into now and then called Vivaldi, like the composer. Um, it's another free one, and you can get that at, uh, well, you just go to the search engine of your choice and search for Vivaldi. Um, I think we've got a call, so let's open up the phones and welcome our first caller. Hello, you're on point and click. You're on the air. Hello. Maybe not. The rain shops are here. <laughs> okay, try that. Hit that magic redial button if you care to, caller, 895-2448. 895-2448 will get you on the air and uh, take your comments, questions about passwords, about search engines, or whatever else you'd like to talk to in the cyber domain. Let's try that again. Hi, you are on point and click. You're on the air. Huh. I don't know. Well, okay. In the meantime... We have talked before about the um, Apple M1 laptops, um, the new um, MacBook Pro and MacBook Air that use the new Apple Silicon chips, the first departure for Apple from the, uh, from the Intel chips that Macs have been built around for a while. And um, we've got some news about, a, uh, about a, uh, of the new Apple chips. Um, but I think we've got another call. Let's try that magic phone line once more and see if we can welcome our first caller. Hi, you're on the air, or hopefully you are. No. I don't know. The phones may be, may be misbehaving. 
It may be stuck on in traffic on 128 because of the uh, from, from the flooding. And by the way, a reminder: if uh, if you've just tuned in, and if you're on 128 heading toward the coast, uh, just a reminder that um, Highway 128 is closed at Flint Creek Road, the usual spot for the usual reason uh, because of flooding. Um, the sandbar at the mouth of the Navarro River, because we have had so little rain this winter, um, is back again, and that means that. Um, when we get some precipitation, the mouth of the Navarro River becomes a lake, a reservoir, instead of a free-flowing river, and it backs up. I was actually on Navarro Ridge the other day and noticed that the parking lot at Navarro Beach was flooded. So um, when that happens, well, um, it's only a matter of more precipitation. If we keep getting rain like this, the sandbar will breach, and um, and uh, then, well, we'll get, the, we'll get the highway back. But for now... Um, 128 is closed, and the um, the workarounds are the usual painful ones: Flint Creek Road through Comchi or um, Philo Greenwood Road uh, to uh, to Cameron Road. In the meantime, we think we might have phones back, so let's give that another try and see if we can welcome our caller. Hello, you are hopefully on the air. Is this I? Ha! Yay! Success. It is I. Okay, I tried to remove the background thing, and that was fun. So oh, I got one picture of my son hanging in the air. He was ziplining, and oh, the whole scene has gone behind it. I've got two of my dogs that look like they're flying in the air. How can I put them together into one picture? That requires some kind of an image editing program. Um, the you know ideally. Well, you know, there are, there are free versions. There are, there, you know, there's probably some kind of an online image editing program that would let you do that. Um, you might even just be able to do kind of a low-rent version by posting them into a word processor and, and, and working with them there. Um, I think that I would probably to, be your... Uh, I do things a lot with putting things in a notebook. So I was trying to put them in notebook, but it wasn't working. It wasn't yeah? I don't know. If, once I, there, yeah. there are free tools like Canva. Oh um, yeah, Canva, Photor, uh, which which I think is I think Canva is Mac and PC, Mac and Windows, and I think Photor is Mac and Windows. Canva. C A N C A N V A. Uh-huh. Yes, uh huh. Yeah. And Photor, F O T O R. Uh huh. Photor is an online one, so it actually kind of runs inside your inside browser. Your browser. That's F-O-T-O-R is uh, .com. So I would download those. You don't even have to download that one. That Photor one actually kind of runs, browser. It runs on your browser. Uh-huh. Okay. So you could give that a try. So I would just open that page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and go to, you go to your browser to, and, to and go to F-O-T-O-R, yeah. Photor. Uh-huh. And, um, and and give it a shot. And I was trying to do with the snipping tool to um, take it and put it over someplace else, but you can't do that. can't copy and paste. It won't copy. Out of your, you mean out of, your, out of your browser? No, when I just had it on the desktop, and then I, I was trying to use the snipping tool and, and copy it and put it over onto... Um, a blank page, but okay. So uh, I don't know how I'm going to get it. I would, 
Yeah, I would try. I would try one of these. Start with Fotor. F O T O R dot com. Um, okay. And yeah, there is. There's no easy automatic way to combine the images that you have easily and automatically removed the backgrounds from. Um, yeah. But it's not. It, uh, it also isn't rocket science either. So I think if you went to <laughs> photor.com and played around with it a little bit, um, I think you'd find you'd be able to do it. Okay, good. And worse comes to worse, I guess I could print them out and uh, double expose. You know, there's always that. Yeah. The other things, there's no background. A marriage of analog and digital? I like it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for the call. Okay. Bye. Uh, uh, background dot. No, remove.bg. Isn't there a something? I think there's a piece of software called Photoscape X, and I think it's free. Photoscape dot. Oh, no, Photoscape. Photoscape X. Photoscape X. Free. And it's free. free And I think you can do like basic manipulation with it, both Mac and Windows. Okay. So I think that's another option. Photoscape X. That's Photoscape. X. Okay, we've got another call coming in here at Point and Click Radio. Hello, you are on the air. Hello. Hi um, there. Hi. Can you, you can hear me? Yes, <laughs> yes we can. Okay. Um, I just wanted to um, say that someone gave me a great tip recently to use my old phone, now disabled, um, to communicate, to store my, my passwords in. Interesting. Oh, so, so, so I just carry so both how, phones with me when I need to, and they're all in there. And, and so presumably you have to unlock your old phone in some way so that, because you don't want to lose that phone <laughs> and then have no, the keys no. to the... <laughs> If I lose the phones, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. But, so I, the but seriously, I mean, but if, it if is, that... So how do you get into that old phone? You have the the code, you know, the four digit or six digit. I've never turned off. I never turned off the password for it. It can't communicate okay. outside of the phone. But I mean, it's the I can change the password within the phone, and I can add things to the phone. Yeah, I can just because it's now it's just a computer. It's basically just like a yeah right. It's just a little pocket sized computer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here's a hypothetical for you: if the worst happened and you lost that phone. Would you be just doomed because that's the only place where you have those passwords recorded? Um, it's no, I, I have them written down in a little book. <laughs> don't want to admit <laughs> to that. <laughs> Presumably, you don't ever store those in the exact same uh-huh. place. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, if if I did lose it, then um, I, on my the I, the phone that I use um, yeah. that's active, there are there is a way to get my passwords back by going uh, okay. through the, right. the phone company. So ah right, but this is much better because I can keep other notes there as well on each yeah, one right. of those contacts. So you you basically use the little notes app and the uh, that's built into the phone. It well, it's still it's still got the. You still got the contacts, just like they were before. They you can, uh, just, right, they just yeah. don't go anywhere. And so I put it in a little note section, whatever I need to make a note of about that particular entry. Yeah, and, it's um, like a day timer. Go from yeah, there. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like a yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an interesting so strategy. Everyone has their own password management strategies. Um, I think combining it with a <laughs> with a little book that hopefully you keep in a fairly secure place is uh, you know yeah. if that if that works for you, and if you're using good strong passwords and different passwords for a bunch of different sites, then you're yeah. you're still ahead of the people who are using passwords like one two three four five six seven eight. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I I can't believe that. People do that, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a great site yeah. called um, the yeah. passwords, passwordsgenerator.net, and I use it all the time to generate my passwords. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You, can, you can say how long you want the, par the password length to be, what are the various characteristics, do you want it to have numbers, lowercase letters, uppercase, exclude similar characters, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Passwordsgenerator.net. Passwordsgenerator.net. Okay. I use it all the time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I generate 16-character passwords always. Wow. So that's up into the 100,000-year <laughs> range in terms of hackability. Correct. Wow, that's impressive. All right, that's good stuff. Well, Thank you for that, caller. Thank you very much. You bet. Appreciate it. It's uh, 10 minutes before the hour here on Point and Click Radio on KZYX with Jim and Toby. Bob has the night off tonight. Um, we've got uh, Jamie Roberts and Radiogram coming up for uh, at 8 o'clock live, so stay tuned for that as well. Um, we talked a minute ago about the, um, the new Apple M1 chips, and um, one of the big advantages that they bring is hugely faster uh, performance when software has been updated to take advantage of them. And when the new Apple MacBooks and MacBook Pro and MacBook Air came out um, a few months ago, there were some important programs that had not yet been updated for, um, for the new M1 chips. And one of them is a app that happens to really benefit from a fast chip, and that is Photoshop from Adobe. Well, just today, Photoshop has gone native on the M1 chips. Um, Apple, or uh, Adobe, I should say, has shipped a uh, M1 native version of Photoshop, and it is about 50% faster than, uh, than, uh, than the Photoshop versions that run on the Intel chips. And this is really big for graphic designers and photographers who typically work with very big images and spend a lot of time opening up images, saving images, resizing them, transmogrifying them in one way or another. So this is an important uh, today's development of um, new uh, uh, the new m1 compatible native version of photoshop is um is a big deal um and it's good to see uh yeah adobe the uh photoshop product manager said that our their internal tests showed a wide range of features running an average of one and a half times faster than similarly configured previous generation systems so um it just again is further illustration of the kind of the big performance advantages that the uh, that the M1 chips bring, which are going to be really interesting when those make their way into desktop machines, yep, like the iMacs, because that's where people are doing things like video editing and 
3D rendering and all that kind of really complex stuff. That I haven't seen anything about when they're expected. Have you? No, no. There have even been people saying that, well, that may not even be the M1 chip. It might be something called the M2 chip or something like that. Um, so obviously they're working on them. And we don't know, you know, are, are we going to see it first in a tower type machine, a Mac Pro type machine? Are we going to see it in an iMac? Um, ultimately, we're going to see the Apple silicon chips in everything that Apple makes. Um, it's just a matter of time. But we don't know, of course, what the timeline is. But speaking of Apple's rumors, um, there have been rumors starting to heat up about an update to the app iPad Pro. Uh, the last time Apple came out with new iPad Pros was about this time year last year, and they do typically update these devices, the mobile devices, on an annual basis. So there have been rumors of a better screen um, and improvements to the Apple Pencil, the little stylus that lets you write directly on the, uh, on the, on the surface of the device. Um, and of course, always, as always, a faster chip. So if you're in the market for an iPad Pro, this is not one of the, this is the high-end um, uh, iPad Pro uh, or iPad line, not the uh, less expensive um, iPad Air or the little itty-bitty iPad Mini which actually are the ones that we have. I, we love the minis. Um, if you're in the market for an iPad Pro, you may want to wait, or at least be following the rumor websites to see what might come um, uh, forward. I, uh, I saw something in the news about T-Mobile is going to start sharing app and browsing info with advertisers by default. Oh, they have a new privacy policy that goes into effect into effect, excuse me, next month. Um, they're going to start a new program that collects and shares data with advertisers in order to show you ads more relevant to your interests. Uh, of course, customers will be included by default, but will be allowed to opt out. The carrier announced the change in a privacy policy update last month, and it was spotted by the Wall Street Journal on Tuesday. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, it will affect both T-Mobile and Sprint customers since the companies merged last year. And it'll allow the carrier to share info, like your browsing data and the apps you use. The policy will go into effect on April 26th. And they clarified that the info it collects won't be tied to your name, but it will link to a unique mobile advertising identifier. Oh, that's what I've always wanted, my own unique mobile advertising ad uh, identifier. Uh, once the policy goes into effect, data on your web browsing and phone usage will be collected and shared with advertisers by default. Uh, if you're a T-Mobile customer or a Sprint customer, you'll need to opt out if you don't want this info collected. Lovely. So keep that in mind. And, of course, they'll put that opt-out option somewhere very, very difficult to find and four web pages deep. Yeah. It's a, it's a jungle out there for when it comes to privacy. And, um, and here at Point and Click Radio, we always work hard to provide you with the machete necessary to, to hack that through that, um, that jungle, whether it's helping you with your passwords and your web security using um, secure uh, privacy-oriented browsers like Brave uh, or search engines like DuckDuckGo or Page, or letting you know about new slimy advertising policies 
by uh, T-Mobile. Um, you'll hear about it here. And I think with that, that is going to bring this edition of Point and Click Radio to a close. Um, we are back two weeks from tonight and um, with the tip of the week from Toby and with Jim and Bob. In the meantime, thanks, everybody, so much for listening, for calling in. Stay tuned for Radiogram with Jamie Roberts, and we will see you next time. Good night, Toby. Good night, Jim. Good night, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.